Welcome to the Expat Birth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to empowering expat families as they navigate pregnancy, birth, and postpartum abroad by sharing resources and stories. Are you ready? Let's get started. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and to serve families as a platform for sharing stories. Any information shared by the main host or special guests is not intended as medical advice. It is vital that you consult with a medical provider before making any medical decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Expat Birth Podcast. My name is Chandler Gilo, and today I am joined by Megan and Amy. Um, Today we're doing a special episode. It will not be a birth story. Um, We are going to be discussing grief, trauma, and loss in relation to the nuances of the expat experience, specifically in the reproductive years. So we're going to be touching on infertility, loss, and... um, just extra nuances of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum period as it relates to um, mental health and um, just being emotionally healthy. Um, As some of you may know, October is a special month because it is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. This is a month that's really special, um, has holds a special place in my heart, as I know there are so many women and families who are navigating hard things as they also live cross-culturally. And I wanted to take this opportunity um, to just hold space for those families and um, talk about these experiences in a healthy way. Um, I'm really excited to be having this discussion with Megan and Amy. Um, they are both professional counselors, and Amy is the director of Gap Relief. Megan is the co-director. I had the honor of meeting them at a cross-cultural retreat in Spain, which I think was in 2017, if I'm doing my math right. Um, But that retreat um, that they hosted for us was such um, a place of healing for me personally, and there were also just a lot of aha moments as it related to mental health and processing emotions, especially for somebody who's living and working cross-culturally. And I've loved seeing their passion grow um, for serving people who are living cross-culturally and they have recently started Gap Relief, which is an organization devoted to working with expats and the nuances of cross-cultural life um, in relation to trauma care. And I regularly um, recommend them to a lot of women and families who are just looking for, for help in that area. But I want them to share their heart with you guys. So Amy and Megan, thank you so much for being here. Um, please tell the audience just a a little bit about yourselves, your family, and your heart for gap relief. Thank you, Chandler. Um, my name is Megan Taylor, and I am a licensed counselor and marriage and family therapist. Um, and my husband and I have two boys. We live in Northwest Arkansas and are an all-boy family, all kinds of active all <laughs> the time um, in a fun season there. And our experience with gap relief um, just has been incredible to see how things have unfolded over the past several years. And so Amy and I um, several years back had begun to develop relationships with those that were serving on the field as expats overseas um, in various parts of the world and just learning and seeing how um, the additional, maybe additional stressors at times, or just as, as Chandler mentioned, the nuances of, of that life um, could impact them in several different ways. And so seeing the value of the work that they're doing in so many different places, our desire really has has become just to come up behind them and hold their arms up so that they're able to continue doing the work that they are doing um, wherever that may be for them. And so it's been an honor um, to get to walk alongside people um, from different parts of the world as they are engaging in the work that they uh, feel called to do and that they feel Mm -hmm. passionate about. And I am Amy Butler, and I also am a licensed counselor and been doing that for many, many years. 
and um, I have four children and I'm I'm, am an adoptive mom and my husband is a fellowship planter. And so we stay very busy. We are um, active in all kinds of sports and, um, you know, just um, walking through life like crazies. So, um, so yeah. And so uh, my gap relief picture, um, very similar to Megan's, just, um, just as we began to get more and more heart connected to those that, you know, do the work of, um, meeting people in their pain around the world, um, felt very passionate about equipping and empowering people to do that job, um, in ways that don't burn them out. Um, so they can stay doing what they are passionate about doing. And so, um, I consider it a lifelong study, um, that I plan to do the rest of my life. Um, and so all in. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for the work that you guys are doing. I know. Um, I think when we had our retreat, it was kind of, was that kind of on the beginning-ish side of you forming Gap Relief? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We often refer to that trip as (laughs) somehow the plane landed. We're not really sure how. Um, We just went in... um, naive with big hearts and, um, the plane landed, um, lots of grace going on there. Um, but yes, it was our second international trip um, okay. to go help workers. Um, and we've had, uh, several since, um, but yes, you, you caught us in the part of our story where we were pretty new and, you know, like I said, big hearts, um, you know, uh, ready to, to pull off that mission, but we, man, we learned a lot. Yeah, well, we were learning a lot from you. So it was all around, I think, a great experience for everyone. So um, awesome. Well, thank you guys for introducing yourselves. Um, I just think we'll just jump straight in with um, we have for those of you who are listening, we have kind of three big things we're going to be discussing on this podcast. One is um, processing trauma and stress leading up to pregnancy. Um, and then we're going to talk after that a little bit about once you're in a situation, how we hold space for it and how we process it and get help for it. And then we're going to end on just general healthy practices that, um, Megan and Amy have just seen that work well, um, as they have worked with, I'm sure hundreds of families by this point, um, who are just navigating lots of different, um, nuances of expat life. Um, so our first question that I wanted to discuss with them, and I really am excited to hear what they have to share with you guys is the importance of um, processing trauma and stress leading up to pregnancy. And we were just talking before we started the podcast. My motivation for asking this question is because I have seen that so many um, families have their first baby abroad within the first two to three years. And that is you know, still ground zero of transition for expats. Um, There's a lot of change happening. And in that change, there can be a lot of unmet expectations. Um, It's not just transition. It's a lot of other stress as well. Um, And um, we're just talking about the importance of unpacking those so that we're not compounding stress um, with any kind of um, stress that can come with pregnancy or um, if there is a loss or if there's secondary infertility that was unexpected or um, even primary infertility um, that, that we didn't realize would be part of your story. Um, There's going to be a lot of things that can compound. So um, Amy and Megan, I would just love to hear y'all's thoughts and from your experience, what you have seen, um, the importance of doing the work um, before um, pregnancy is even um, a part of the picture. Yes, yes. I'm so glad that your eyes are on that and that's where you're wanting to dig first. Um, when I think about that picture, just in my experience with working with expats overseas, is that those, those transition phases of just coming from your country of origin, going into a new culture, 
um, we, we only have so much pain tolerance. We only have so much mm-hmm. stress tolerance. And so we can find ourselves at capacity real quick, especially when we're, um, you know, if I paint the pain picture for a minute of just, you're learning a new language. There's a lot of pressure that can come along with that. You're learning a new culture. There's a lot of pressure that can come along with that. Um, you know, certain countries that you're assigned um, different safety levels um, of you being there. Um, so there's, um, you know, the pain of like um, how well you felt supported in leaving your country of origin. Like your, mm-hmm. is your family of origin supportive of, of the work that you're doing and where you're living and, um, and so, you know, that's just kind of me doing a, a first circle around what tends to be um, the pain or the mm-hmm. stress of someone making such a life stage move. And so, so if you imagine that we all have this capacity limit and um, think about everything I just said and how much that can fill us up to capacity. And then when we go backwards in our story, right? So we we don't we don't make those decisions, and we don't go overseas with um, without baggage. Um, right. And so when you look back in your story and you look at like any trauma that you've had in your past story, um, you know we carry those things around with us until we have done the trauma work um, that um, begins to get us free. And so. Um, this picture that I'm painting is just um, all the things that can just fill us up on the inside um, and can really push on our capacity. And so then if, if we're not working on those things or we have not addressed those things going into family planning, going into pregnancy, um, man, like, like mm. pregnancy and all the things that you know and what you do, like you know what they're about to walk into and, and how the stressors are going to need some room, right? They're going to need yeah. some room to, for people to cope and deal, especially if a crisis or a trauma happens within that realm. Um, and so really the pictures that I'm painting is like, you can do yourself a favor. You can really um, help yourself out if you are um, have active processes of dealing with your past story, your current transition, because what you're doing is you're sorting through all the things on the inside of you and giving them ground and space for other stressors to have space to move around. Mm-hmm. Um, because man, if, if we don't, if you don't have an active process there of healing, um, you know, um, it can make, um, anything that happens forward in that place of capacity, that much more traumatic, that much less, uh, you'd have that much less of an ability to cope um, with what life might throw your way. Mm. That's really good. Um, would you say that you guys find a lot in your work that maybe, I mean, I know this is something I found personally, so I don't know if this is other, other people as well, but um, I didn't have good avenues for processing because I hadn't really had a super stressful life, to be honest. And I'm thankful for that. Um, but in the States, things were pretty, like, I could cope using a lot, I had a lot of things to help me cope. Um, and I underestimated uh, both my losing my coping mechanisms, such as a, for me, it was a strong church family. Um, for me, it was being close to my like bio, like my family of origin. Um, there's a lot of things that played into that, a close friend group. Um, so you lose your coping mechanisms, um, that were in your life, but then you have all these added stressors of the expat life. Um, do you, um, find that a lot of people that you come into contact who are maybe relatively newer cross-cultural workers, um, hadn't, intentionally thought about, um, the, just what their, what, what their path to processing would be? Um, yes, I think that is something good to look at and, um, you know, even kind of hearing your story and your experience there, I would say that that is a story that we have seen, um, with many as well. Um, of course, knowing that there can be details and things that can be different there. Mm -hmm. But I do think um, what happens often is in that space is that we're not even fully aware of how many things we have pulling us to the ground um, when Mm -hmm. we are in our place of um, like our our home space, right? Mm -hmm. Like where we've grown up, um, 
the things that are just routine, you know, I, um, there was a gal I was working with at the beginning of the pandemic and, you know, she, she worked in a medical field where she found her world kind of flipped upside down and had described to me one day, um, she's like, I have had the best day that I've had since the beginning of COVID. And to find out what, what all went into that day, it simply was that she went to the bank and made a, made a bank deposit. And so there was one thing in her day that felt like I know what to expect here and what, what I expect Mm. is actually going to happen. Um, and the amount of relief that that gave her kind of shocked me and her, um, because it really was not about the bank deposit, right. In and of itself, but it is, it, 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 it's these things that our biological neurological system can know this is what is going to happen. And then it happens. And so our survival brain or the part of our system that is always kind of bracing or scanning for something that might potentially be a threat or, um, and I use that word threat broadly. Um, it could mm-hmm. just be surprising. Um, it could just be new and our system doesn't know how to integrate the new information yet. And so that part of her got to kind of take a breather that day, Mm. um, when it had been on high alert. And so those types of things, you know, whether it's literally, um, you know, like when we say coping, right, we laugh about Target and Starbucks or the things Mm. that we may have here that, um, we honestly don't necessarily recognize how much those things are grounding us in our Uh day to day, how much our survival system gets to turn off and um, we get to rest because um, there are things that feel so simple. And so I believe that to be true often where um, expats will end up overseas and, and, you know, we don't really recognize the things that we are leaving behind. And so our, our system is already kind of reorienting to not having those things with us. Um, you know, it's, it's been incredible to see how, um, when we have gone overseas, even things like Sour Patch Kids, you know, can yeah. br- bring as much comfort as they do because they're connected with this place of, of safety and known. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's something that I feel like we see fairly often. And mm-hmm. so when we're leaving, um, leaving those things that, you know, through a counseling lens, we can also call, call that sometimes a secure base, especially if we have safe relationships and supportive community, whether that's our family or our friends or our church community, um, from those places, we actually are more grounded to go and experience things that are new Mm. or kind of have um, an adventure, so to speak. And that may literally be, you know, like I'm taking on a new job and it's putting me in a a role that is, um, I have more pressure on me and I'm having to have more confidence in myself, or that could be something like, um, you know, bringing a new child into my family. And so when we have that secure base, we're more able to do that. Um, mm. but oftentimes we are uh, as expats stepping away from our secure base for, for beautiful reasons, but don't often realize that that's part of what's happening for us there. Mm. Um, and so then we can find ourselves like, like also navigating some of those new challenges potentially of, of birth, but even prior to that, even just um, adjusting to a new culture, learning a new language, um, while we're also trying to establish a new base of security yeah. that we're able to go out from. That's really good. Um, I yeah, those are just really great. And I think um, just for hearing that, if I would have, if that would have been so helpful for me to hear going out, just to validate that, um, it doesn't mean that. Uh, to make it any more intimidating, but just to have really healthy expectations of yourself and to know, um, just to be aware of the things that are being lost and um, the impacts that that can have on you. Um, those are really great points. Um, I really want to move into like we. I think we've really done like you guys did a good job just expressing how important it is um, to be processing these things leading up to pregnancy because it's there are so many aspects um, that are impacting your life when you make that that decision to to move your family to another country um so say we've 
we've done a good job of processing, but then we, um, we enter, um, we have a, we have a pregnancy and, um, there's a lot of hard things that can come Pregnancy is beautiful and, um, there can be such happy and joyful things that, that come as a result of it. Um, but there can also be some hard things as well. Um, you know, I've heard of families who, they knew they were struggling with um, infertility when they went overseas, but now that they go overseas, um, everything that they knew about infertility and what resources to use um, have gone out the window. Um, they don't even know where to start um, to restart that journey, I should say, overseas. Or um, they get overseas and they think, oh, we're going to add another one to our family and they have secondary infertility. Um, but there's also loss that can happen and um, just holding a minute on those specific things, infertility and loss. Um, one thing I've heard from several people who've navigated those is just, hey, this is hard always, like no matter um, who you are, where you are in the world. But um, there's just some extra nuance to this expat experience, whether it's um, I don't understand the medical system. So this is a lot of added stress. Like what if something happens and I need immediate help and I don't really know how to get that help? That's stress, right? That's, um, that can be trauma for a lot of people or um, just I'm trying to talk to this person who speaks broken English and they may say something super insensitive, not because necessarily they meant to, but because that is the English that they had to work with. Um, or they may just be in a culture that doesn't value um, like in children in the womb. Um, it may be um, common for abortion in their country um, and they, it may be a, a loss may not be um talked about on the same level as it would be in the States. Um, so like, I, I, do you guys have any words of wisdom or validation to speak in, into those specific situations? Yeah. Um, when I hear you paint that picture, I kind of go back to the picture that I shared before about capacity. Um, you know, when you're walking into um, pregnancy or infertility or loss, any, anything like that. Imagine that your capacity, um, is already being met in so many different ways, just in very ordinary ways, right? Just mm -hmm. learning where to go get groceries, learning, learning how to say, where's the bathroom, right? Like just right. real, like all your energies are going into things that, um, in your, in your um, country of origin, you would not have to use energy for those are automatic. Mm -hmm. And so, so um, keeping that picture in mind, when you start to engage some of the pictures you're talking about, um, it would be very gracious to hand yourself that awareness. So as you're walking it, um, when you hit those bumps of culture barriers or, um, having to navigate gate a medical system that is not um, original to you, um, where you're having to um, navigate different cultural values around the value of a pregnancy. Um, you know, like giving yourself the grace narrative um, inside yourself within your marriage and your family um, that hey, this is hard. Hey, I'm at capacity. This is requiring more of me than I have to give. Like, I'm going to have bad days. This is going to be hard. I'm going to want to sit in the floor and cry. You know, maybe I'm angry. Mm -hmm. Maybe I, maybe I have rage moments where I just like throw things around and I'm, I'm, I'm angry. Um, these experiences or these expressions that could, you, you could find yourself having are so normal because what it is that's happening is you're, your brain flipped to the back part of your brain because um, your capacity is met and, and your, your body is designed to protect you. Um, and so it's saying, Hey, this is too much. This is too much. I need people to get away. I need this to not be hard. And so everybody can have their own way of expressing um, too much. Um, and so you might find yourself um, isolating and pulling away um, you might find yourself having a hard time getting out of bed. You might find yourself um, being angry, rageful, resentful, um, questioning why you're 
out on the field. <laughs> you know, why are we doing this? Right. I might question my entire um, uh, job choice here. Um, why are we doing this the hardest way possible? Right. Like um, and so the number one thing we would do if we were meeting with somebody in this place is we would give them a grace narrative. We would help them to understand, hey, like how you're reacting or responding to the levels of stress that you are engaging are absolutely normal. Um, you are not bad. You are not wrong. Like what this is exemplifying is that it's just beyond your capacity to cope. Um, and that that does not make you weak. There's nothing. You're not a bad person. You are not wrong for thinking and feeling the way that you are. Those are expressions of too much. Um, it's just a lot to deal with. Um, and so we would hand them as much grace and space to struggle, to not be okay. Um, and so then I also, my eyes lock on the, the daddy in the scene, mm -hmm. um, because in a foreign country, um, he's going to constantly feel helpless. And most men do not like to feel helpless, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to wanting to protect and serve. Um, and so another pain point here that we sit with is his pain mm -hmm. of like, Hey, you know, her body's going through so much or her, she, her, she wants her body to be pregnant or she, she's going through all these things. And, um, we often talk to, um, the dads to be, um, and their pain place is incredibly mm -hmm. painful as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, just the pain of feeling helpless and not feeling enough to fight through all those cultural barriers for his wife um, and his child to be. And so um, there's a lot of trauma and pain that can happen to the men um, yeah. that is often unseen because it's not, the storyline isn't necessarily about them. And so their pain often goes unseen as well. And so what we do is we just paint lots of pain pictures and give lots of space for it to be painful and hard we use lots of fire pictures where the fire goes real high um, and we we help um, pain. Uh, what am I trying to say? Like resiliency maybe in that mm -hmm. pain by showing how they can stay connected to themselves and other people around them, safe other peoples, um, so that the pain can be somewhat manageable with. Um, there is some really cool research out there where um, they did some experiments where if someone was um, going to experience or anticipate a pain, um, her her brain would light up like the 4th of July. The pain receptors would go off like, ouch, 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 this is going to be painful. Um, versus if you put someone in the room with her that is a safe person to her and they're holding her hand, right? They're with, um, her brain does not light up the same way. Um, wow. She's not anticipating pain or not in as much pain um, just by the presence of someone safe with her. Um, and so we constantly hand that picture um, mm -hmm. by the power of with, the power of um, not walking something like that alone um, and to, to walk it in connection with people. We can't always take away the external pain, mm -hmm. but we can make sure they're not walking it alone. And so... Mm -hmm. We know biologically and with fMRI um, brain pictures that pain, um, that we do have the ability to manage pain by not walking it alone. Um, our brains go wild in pain when we're walking something alone. And so there's several things we do to circle people in that pain picture that you're describing. But I would say number one is we want them to just know it's normal because where we can add pain is when we turn on ourselves, like something's mm -hmm. wrong with me. What I'm a horrible expat worker. Um, I, somebody else should have come. I'm, I'm weak. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not cut out for this, right? We can really turn on ourselves there when really the pain is just really high and no one would, would cope and walk that well. Um, it, and, and so they just, need a lot of tribe, a lot of people to walk with that understand and give a lot of grace. Yeah, that's, that's a great word. And I just like from, from listening to you um, talk, if I wanted a family to have one takeaway from that, it would be um, to just really hone in on the fact that um, 
you have to walk through this with people and and reaching out for help um whether the, you know is not a uh a sign of weakness mm-hmm. like you were saying this isn't a actually it's a sign of strength i would think um mm-hmm. of of being able to say hey I, we need help walking through this this is heavy um because i think um a lot well i'm not going to say i think from what i have like what i've seen in my small sphere is that um cross cultural workers like to be strong and mm-hmm. they like to do the hard things and um it's hard to admit to yourself when hey maybe i can't do this hard thing alone um but what that results in is a lot of hurting cross-cultural workers um, for a multitude of reasons. And um, I would really love to see this shift in the expat world of, um, Hey, let's do the, let's, let's um, hold each other up for and encourage each other to seek help and um, to support each other. So that, um, because what does that result in? staying on the field longer um, and making more of an impact doing the things that we want to be doing because we're healthy enough to do it. Um, and yeah, that, that's just a really great word. Um, moving, transitioning a little bit. Um, there's also this, there's, there's this um, place of infertility and loss, but there's also a place that just comes with, um, perinatal mood disorders, which, um, isn't exactly the focus of today, but I did want to touch on it, um, because I think, um, the, they can stem from, um, infertility and loss and struggle. Um, but it's also really anybody. We don't know how to predict who will be impacted um, by this range, these range of struggles, whether it's postpartum depression, anxiety, um, OCD with just intrusive um, thoughts. There's um, postpartum rage. There's a whole range of these um, of of experiences that I don't think it talked about. And, um, a lot of these families are in countries where, um, the support isn't there. So America has a long way to go in this realm, in my opinion. Um, but there is an increasing awareness of it and doctor's offices and midwives in general are doing a better job of screening for it and connecting people with help. Um, but in a lot of countries around the world, there's women, families are never screened, um, for these things. And so, um, knowing that cross-cultural workers, like we've talked about are just, they're just, a, it's a different kind of hard. It's a lot of new stressors um, and a lot of different layers of loss that you're processing. Um, and then you add on a potential, you know, a time period where um, these mood disorders could surface um, unexpectedly, someone who's never struggled with these things before. Um like what just kind of words of wisdom do you have for families who are, who are navigating um, that specific realm? Mm -hmm. Yes, Chandler. I think that is something that um, I, I agree with you just in your assessment there to go, Hey, I think we're still learning a lot about this. Um, And we're still, you know, even in the medical realm, like for doctors or others to understand and be able to screen for those even here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the first thing that comes up for me there is even just for people to know that that's possible um, or to know that those things exist. Um, I know that even here in the States and then for sure in working with expats, uh, many women and families are not aware that, that that's even a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be very disorienting, I think, particularly if um, those these disorders come following a healthy birth. Mm-hmm. I think there can even be a greater sense of disorientation there where our, yeah. our, our mind or part of us t- is, is saying like, hey, I should be I should be happy. Right. Like like what what is happening to me that that, that is not where I'm at or that's not what I'm feeling 
um, and our system doesn't necessarily know what to do in those places. And so it can be very disorienting. I think um, kind of adding on to what Amy was sharing there, like we can begin to tell ourselves a story there that something is wrong with me, um, that I, I must be doing this wrong. Why am I in this place? And so I think initially even just having a an understanding or a picture that these experiences can be here, um, can be real. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think that there is, um, there, there's something that happens as well that, that we'll see often in the realm of infertility or loss, um, is that there almost are stages of grieving, um, or there are stages of grieving that along the way, um, where oftentimes after that has occurred physically, your body is in a different place biologically, um, even hormonally. And so those things can trigger some of those responses that had not been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it feels like, hey, I've already grieved this. Like I've already, um, I've already spent some time grieving and giving myself space that this was going to be my story. Um, and so that can be disorienting as well when there is a, another circle of grief that kind of hits us like a wave. Mm. Um, and so a, a story that we often, um, think of just in, just in our, our own realm or, um, for me being a person of faith is I, I think of a story in the Bible where, um, Joshua had to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times and before the walls fell. And when we think about grief or um, processing of pain, that's a story that comes up for us often because it can feel very frustrating to think, I've already felt this, I've already grieved this. And so when I look at that story of Joshua walking around those walls, I imagine him to kind of, I put myself in that scene and I'm like, hey, I saw that brick yesterday. I kind of don't want to see it again. Um, Yeah. Like circling around that picture. And yet... um, it, it, it was those circles that brought, brought the walls down, like just in, um, or God brought the walls down, but just him in that space continuing to circle. And so I think also um, just an understanding that, um, that there is a process there, that it may not fully make sense. Um, and I think as Amy was sharing earlier, that if you find yourself experiencing some of those things, that that does not mean that there is something wrong with you. Mm. Um and uh, that there can be true biological, um, physical reasons that, that the chemicals in our body are shifting, that we're experiencing some of those things. Um, there also can be other things that show up there as well. Um, something we talk about in the realm of, of trauma or pain and healing often is just that our, our bodies keep the score. Um, mm. And so, so meaning that like if we have had experiences before, that have felt similar, even if the details are completely different, um, even if we're not necessarily aware that that is what's happening, our body can remember those things. And that can also be a factor mm. um, in what you're experiencing um, in those times as well. So if I've had an experience before where I felt out of control or where I have felt like um, like almost kind of like I'm at, at war with my body. You know, I always say if anybody's on my team, it should be me. And so to be in a place where it feels like I am, my, my heart and my mind are telling me I'm okay, I'm safe, but my body has me in a place of feeling, um, anxious or angry or depressed or, um, that can be very disorienting. And so if I have had those experiences before that can compound there as well. Um, mm. And so I think um, first, just knowing that uh, the that that things showing up in the perinatal period can be possible, um, and then two, understanding that there are a lot of factors that go into that. That yes, it makes sense. Um, and uh, again, kind of that grace picture. Um, I think something also is uh, when we talk about kind of a secure base or having a support system, um, something that I recognize is that oftentimes not only do, do maybe we not see that, uh, that those things are possible or understand them as, as expats or as women that may be, um, experiencing birth or experiencing pregnancy loss, but 
those around us don't see them either. Um, and so handing them or handing our, our system a grace lens may also help them be able to support us and walk with us in that space. Um, you know, just even the research that Amy referred to is crazy powerful um, to have somebody with you in those places, um, even if the pain is still there. Mm. Man, it's good stuff. I feel like we could talk about this for like days and days. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think we're, we're getting close to um, the end here, but I just wanted to um, wanted you guys to share. I mean, you guys have shared a lot of practical um, advice to this whole thing, but just um, if you wanted to end with, are there, if there was just, just really practical advice that you would say, Hey, I, th- this is something I would want all expats to know, or um, just whether that's a, a practice or an, an understanding or a belief that you think is really important um, for them to have. Um, I would love for you to share that. And then I would love to for you to share how, um, how people can get in touch with you guys um, moving forward. So I have a picture that comes up for me first <clears throat> when you asked me that question. And in our trainings, we often show a video um, it's, it's a video called Smarter Every Day, and it's a um, kind of an experiment this, that this man did to figure out why on an airplane um, they, they tell you put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on someone else. And so um, he goes to this hyperbaric chamber, um, he takes his oxygen mask off, and he Um, begins to show what happens as signs of hypoxia begin to set in. And initially he looks fine. And as his O2 stats decrease, he begins to show signs of hypoxia all the way to um, where he could die. Mm -hmm. And so we show this video because experientially we want to show like, hey, these are, while this is a picture of physical, biological hypoxia, we see the exact same thing happen to people emotionally and in their mental health. And so if they do not have steady rhythmic ways of getting what we would call like emotional um, oxygen, if you will, um, their O2 emotional O2 stats can get so low that that's when they begin to have suicidal thoughts or high levels of depression or anxiety, like, like addictions, um, these things come from places of trying to survive and kind of like counterfeit ways of getting oxygen mm. um, to to the body. And so we use that picture interchangeably um, for emotional hypoxia. And, and so kind of my first answer is just um, that having rhythms of oxygen. And what is that? We know that the way that we have been designed and how our bodies, heart, soul, mind, body works is that we absolutely need width. Um, we need to feel like we are walking through life with people, mm-hmm. um, not just physically, not just like, oh, look, I'm, I'm in the same room with someone. And so I'm not alone. We, we really mean internally not alone. Um, and so what that requires is for us to find safe people that we feel like we can share the inside of us in. Um, Mm -hmm. And so um, a very strong emotional resiliency move is confession. And so if I can identify a safe person in my life or safe enough um, that I can look inside of myself and confess my fears, my, what I'm scared of, um, where I'm hurting um, my shame. Um, So if I am sharing those things, um, getting those things outside of me um, is 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 designed to be relieving to me in the presence of a safe person. Mm. Um, and that's what's tricky as we can't always find safe people, um, you know, um, emotionally safe people. Um, but man, do we need it. And so yeah. and so that's where, you know, I'm a little biased, but, you know, that's where counselors come into play is that counselors, you know, we're trained um, to be safe people, um, to be a pseudo representative of a, of a safe human in someone's life where they can work through, um, and practice 
new ways of not being alone, um, to confess, to share the insides, to be aware of their insides, mm-hmm. um, to share them out loud. Like we, we really just try to work to help someone get organized within themselves and, and to learn how to confess. This is not something most of us are taught throughout our lives to do. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's in that move of confession, um, that we put that oxygen mask on, um, when someone says, Hey, I see you. Thank you for sharing. Um, a great resource. One of our heroes is Brene Brown. Um, all of her books and resources paint these pictures. Um, she gives very practical ways to, um, to, to rumble in the arena of vulnerability and um, she, you know, if somebody wants to dig in and really learn what it is that we're referencing here, um, Brene Brown does an incredible job and has a lot of resources out there that help people know how to rumble this out. Um, and so oxygen, um, you've got to have your oxygen mask on. I know a lot of people that go overseas to serve. Um, they have incredibly big hearts um, and they, they are willing to do that with their whole life. And so my, my word of wisdom there is to remember that you are a human and you matter um, mm-hmm. just as much as the other humans you love and want to serve. And without that value system, you won't make it. Mm. Um, you will burn out. You will cause, you will be a part of causing damage to, to your mission, to your family, to your people around you, um, merely by not mattering to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. We see this happen all the time. Um, really big, great hearted people, um, forget like their blind spot is themselves. Um, and they believe that in their mission, it's justified to sacrifice themselves, um, for the mission. And we do not believe that that honors the design that is within them, um, that they are to love themselves, um, to love their neighbor. Um, and so, um, sacrificing yourself in that way, um, we believe that there are other ways to do your mission um, that allow you to stay through the test of time and not hurt your people around you in the process of accomplishing your mission. Mm. And so you mattering to yourself is a really, really, really big deal. Um, And so having these patterns of where you matter, whether it's getting away, resting, um, having a safe friend to talk about your pain with, um, you know, leaning into counseling, leaning into groups of people that can identify with your pain, like a support group. Um, all of these moves um, show that you matter to yourself. Mm. That's really, really good. Mm-hmm. What if someone was wanting to connect with you guys to connect with Gap Relief um, in general to follow to follow your work? What is the best way? Um, to connect with you guys moving forward? Yeah, I think um, probably at this point, our, well, our website is almost up. Yay! That's what a a journey, as Chandler does, Um, just uh, getting getting things to words and getting that up. And so it will be gaprelief.com. And um, I would imagine, Chandler, by the time you are uh, airing this podcast, it will be up. So, okay. Yeah. Um, that's exciting. Yeah. So gaprelief.com or our email addresses are just Amy, A-M-Y at gaprelief.com or Megan, M-E-G-A-N at gaprelief.com. And so that's a good way to get in touch with us as well. Um, with anything else that may come up there. Yeah. And so just a quick, um, plug for you. So you guys do counseling obviously um but you also work with organization like larger organizations um as well um i don't know if you guys want to do a quick blurb about that just so people are aware um of some of the other things you guys offer sure um yeah we kind of have what what we would say are like three arms to our organization and so the first one is that counseling piece and so we have a team um in addition to Amy and myself, um, we have five others. And so counselors and um, those that are able to work alongside us in the realm of of pain and stress recovery. And so we meet with people um, individually, with like families, um, groups. And so and a lot of that can be done via telehealth um, with different parts of the world as well. Um, Mm. And then 
addition to that, um, we also have kind of a, a training slash consulting arm um, where, and that can look a lot of different ways. Um, and so some of what Chandler talked about as far as the retreat experience that we did in 2017, um, that's a part of what we do. And, and what that can look like is coming alongside an organization or a group of expats um, and really being curious with what, what they need and where they are in designing an experience that meets them right where they are with what they need. Um, and so something that is kind of unique about us is that we, we don't really have a one size fits all um, protocol that we walk through. We really want to make sure that we are um, connecting with people right where they are and building what they need specific to them. And so um, that, that can look like, uh, like on-site retreats that can look like um, experiences over zoom that can look like kind of more organizational consultation where we're sitting with um, the leaders of an organization and kind of processing through either their member care protocol and policies or uh, organizational structure, things like that. Um, and then we also have kind of a resources arm that we are getting up and running a little bit more where our heart there is to develop um, more trauma-informed resources for those that are out on the field, that they're able to have mm. those to kind of sustain uh, what they might be engaging in their healing journey or just in their personal journey in uh, other parts of their life, that these would be tools that would help them be able to continue to sustain that during their time um, on the field. And so that's a little bit more about our picture. Wow. That's awesome. I'm obviously a huge fan of resources. So I love that you guys are doing that. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for just sharing your heart and your insight into some really just um, heavy topics, but topics that just touch a lot of cross-cultural workers. Um, my prayer is that, and I know it'll just be a blessing to um, many who listen, Um Thank you to everyone who has stayed with us during this podcast and um, just listen. I, I hope that it was an encouragement to you, but also um, if you know of someone in your realm um, who this might be an encouragement to, please, please pass it along so um, they can get the encouragement that they need. Um, if please reach out to Megan and Amy moving forward, if you have any questions um, or if for whatever reason you need to contact me first. I'm happy to direct you um, to them. Um, but until next time, um, I hope you guys have a fantastic week and we will be back in just a couple of weeks with our next um, birth story. You can find me online at theglobalbirthcoach.com. On social media, you can find me on Pinterest, Instagram, and Facebook at The Global Birth Coach. On The Global Birth Coach Facebook page, there is an affiliated closed group called The Virtual Village, and that's where I'm active most often. This group is designed to be a place where expat families can come together to encourage each other and share resources as they navigate pregnancy, birth, and postpartum abroad. Come and join us. We would love to have you there.